Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing watching shares of NVIDIA today. We were down, what, it was over, down over 3.5% this morning when the headline first broke. U.S. planning new AI chip export controls aimed at NVIDIA. Right between the eyes. But this has been such a story stock. And remarkable with this. BlackRock call on AI today, it's cut that loss in half. It's down 1.5% here. It's almost like nothing ever happened. But interesting, it's a story that brings us back to October. You remember the first announcement of restricting sales of certain high technology, specifically supercomputing chips, semiconductors, which really make the world go round, boy, as we have learned from COVID and now in trying to keep them out of the hands of the Chinese uh, under the Commerce Department proposal, as I read here on the terminal, expected in July, this is uh, not something that's been officially announced, the U.S. would revise export controls to make it harder to sell some chips to China without a license, aimed in part at NVIDIA's A800 chip, which the company designed after the controls were first announced in October. So we're the White House is literally trying to keep up with the evolution of this technology. And questions about what it means for our relationship with China, but also what it means for NVIDIA. And that's where we start with Bloomberg's Kunjin Sabani, Bloomberg Intelligence reporter. Kunjin, it's great to have you with us here. My first question when I hear this and I see the sort of limited or muted stock reaction at this time of day is, you know, we keep hearing that NVIDIA is sold out. You can't get these cards. There are, there are so many data centers that want to upgrade their technology that I wonder if they s- simply replace the business lost from China. Is that possible? Uh, that is exactly possible, and hence the muted stock reaction. Um, it's in very line with our views that we put out yesterday night when the story first broke out. Um, China is an important market, uh, but what these sanctions mean is it will be more of a lost opportunity for upside rather than a near-term significant impact on their earnings. As I read here, China represents up to 25%, almost a quarter of NVIDIA's data, uh, data center revenue. Almost brought me back to New England there, data revenue. Uh, and in the long term, any ban of exports to that country would represent a loss of opportunity. 25% sounds like a lot. Is that how much in demand these cards are? Absolutely, yes. And like like you said, in the near term, there is so much demand from the U.S. Uh, cloud service providers that they just cannot keep up. So there would not be any significant impact in the near term. But yes, in the long term, this could have been a large market in the absence of bans, mm-hmm. which if the bans are exhaustive, could limit their upside. I'm sure you could speak over all of our heads here, Kanjin, but give our listeners a sense of why the A800 chip, I refer to it as a card, is so important here 
and has really changed the landscape for AI? Also, to remember, um, NVIDIA has a monopolistic share when it comes to high-end GPU. In fact, in 2022, they had 95% share of the units sold. Um, so there is no other alternative today um, that can beat and come out with a GPU with that performance. So that's why this is very important. So if you're running a high-end cloud data center, you definitely, and if you're running generative AI type workloads, mm-hmm. um, you have to go with NVIDIA. Hence the very big importance. That's why we hear that every data center on the planet will eventually need to upgrade to these these cards, right? Yep. There's no second NVIDIA? Is it AMD? Does anybody other than NVIDIA make this stuff? Well, AMD is the closest second viable alternative that mm-hmm. could be possible, and they are coming up with their own AI GPU uh, scheduled to come out end of this year that people are eyeing on. But yes, as of today, it's almost the only option that you can buy from a chip supplier. So the bottom feeders will be at it. They smell an opportunity. Kunjan, thank you for coming on. Uh, Kunjan Sabani reporting for Bloomberg Intelligence, which does such great work on this stuff. Uh, And a little peek inside of what we're really talking about here. We wanted to set the foundation before we spoke with Max Baucus, the former senator and, of course, former ambassador to China, is back with us on Bloomberg Radio. Mr. Ambassador, uh, thanks for being with us. Is the administration taking the right approach by cutting off this supply to China? Well, it's, it's a very delicate balance. The concern clearly is to uh, try to reduce the growth of the, the PLA. That is not send chips that help the Chinese military. It's okay to send chips that don't help the Chinese military, but these are very high-end chips, and they clearly will help the uh, PLA, the Chinese military. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the big driver here is AI. AI is the flavor of the day, the flavor of the month, the flavor of the year. Everything is AI these days. That's for sure. It's um, as it's cloud services, it's um, and, and so many other uh, adaptations. And so, and Nvidia makes you know the, the A100, which is the best. And then because of the export control in the A100, they developed the A800, which are not quite as, as powerful, but yet quite powerful. And this now the U.S. Commerce Department is saying, well, no, those do eight. 800, they're just as bad, too, because they're, they perform the same functions. So that's what's going on here. Um, it's, and it's a delicate balance. Um, I do think the administration has done a pretty good job trying to thread that needle. On the other hand, we're now moving into an era of um, not to, uh, decoupling, but de-risking. And de-risking really is, 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 is defining a category, not just individual chip, but a category. And I'm quite concerned that when we talk about categories, we tend to be overbroad in our efforts to restrict uh, technology to China or, or to any country. There's another problem here. We just this is on the heels of Secretary Blinken's trip to to uh, to Beijing with a, a lot of nice sounding words and two companies two countries going to work together, et cetera. Yeah. And lo and behold, afterwards <clears throat> we see the statement by President Biden that President Xi is a dictator. That doesn't help much. Then now we add new export control restrictions, and that's gonna, not going to help very much either. So the really, from the Chinese perspective, the Chinese think, gee, you know, we have these agreements. We're not going to upset the apple guard here. We're going to manage this relationship. Mm-hmm. Then you Americans are going to do something stupid, like, the, like President Biden's comment. I won't say that's stupid, but it certainly didn't help. Then add to that, now you're going to have to slap more export controls on us. We just don't trust you. 
you, we reach these agreements, then you go do these things. Now, clearly, we have to protect our national security. This is probably an action we should take, but um, it's, it's it's not a it's not a freebie. Yeah. Uh, China might react. You know, what they did with Micron, they said, "Okay, Micron, we're not going to buy any more of your stuff." They they could do another Micron. Well, that's right. I, look, at you, there was a lot there, uh, Mr. Ambassador. I, I'm glad you brought it up, though, because there are a lot of questions about, you know, mixed messages here. We understand, and Bloomberg, in fact, broke the story that Janet Yellen's going to be visiting uh, China in the near term. We know the Commerce Secretary wants to go. Gina Raimondo, this is a Commerce Department initiative that we're talking about here uh, with AI. And President Biden apparently wants to meet with President Xi again. So how do we have all this at once? Bill Gates is traipsing around China. And, and then, to your point, we drop the hammer on something like this. Well, I think it's changing something slightly. It's very good that Bill Gates went to China. It's good that um, Jimmy Diamond went to China and Elon Musk. It's good that U.S. business titans go to China, talk to China, to talk to the Chinese leadership, you know, Xi Jinping. That's because that's, we have to build a strong commercial trade investment okay. relationship. And that's, that's, that's all very helpful. Now, um, it's also very good to uh, strengthen and build on the, 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 the Blinken trip with Ramondo visit or Janet Yellen visit over to China. And they want that. The Chinese want that. We certainly want that because the more we're talking to each other, the better. It was, it's, it's stunning, frankly, that virtually no cabinet secretary has visited China in, in many years. Blinken was the first in about four years. Um, it's, and that's because communication has been cut off so much between our two countries. Now, I'm not saying communication is going to solve everything, but if we're not communicating, we're not visiting, we're not talking, that's clearly going to make things worse. I'm concerned right now, though, that if these things pile on, the, the president's statements and you know, more export controls, there's, there's going to come a point where – Chinese are going to think, gee, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't right. yell and come over and so forth. We're not, I don't think we're there yet, but it's, it's part of the calculus. Well, that's why I wonder. I, I, you, you clearly can see this from both sides, and your experience in China informs your view there uh, in a way that most people probably would not understand. Does the administration need to do a better job with its messaging? And I'll note that this is not an official announcement. This is coming from sources, people familiar with the matter, talking with the news media, so I suspect there might have been a different rollout. But should should we not assume that the administration gave Beijing a heads up on this? No, they may have. We don't know, but it raises another point. I think too few American public officials know very much about China. They haven't been to China, or if they, or if they have, it's, it's infrequently. The more Americans generally, and more American officials spend more time in China, they start to understand China a little better, especially the nuances, you know, the, the phrase, and, and understand the importance of saving face and how to negotiate and how to talk in a way that's a little more comforting to the Chinese. And I think we're a little bit crude, frankly. Uh, we're, we're, we, just, we just go in too quickly. In a certain sense, we're too American in the sense we want to get immediate results. The Chinese, um, they like to talk a little bit. They want to talk longer. They want to just, it's more nuanced. And it's, I think the more we understand that, the more like, likely we're going to have a, a relationship that's better managed. That would suggest, then, that you do favor a meeting between the two presidents sometime soon. I do very much. Um, um, but And the more we don't undertake actions which are, are controversial toward each other, the more that, that, that summit's going to happen. I think it's very important. Frankly, I'd like to see President Xi 
in President Biden meet frequently, maybe lock in. Okay, we're going to meet every six months. Huh. If it's locked in, then they then they then they know they have to talk to each other, and that that, that that's going to because nobody wants to say anything negative. To, to if you have person. a meeting coming, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's I, human I, nature. I, I like this. It is human nature. I just like to see more meetings. We started this conversation. You put your finger on military hardware. When we talk about AI with relation to China, should we assume that that is what the administration is talking about? We know China is not as invested as the U.S. in AI, that it's a very powerful technology uh, that will be used in a lot of different ways. But you see this as a defense issue. Absolutely. No question. Um, we're very concerned about uh, China's use of AI because uh, Obviously, the more it's used, the more sophisticated their military equipment is, and it's, we, we want to. We have to deter China. The way we deter China is make sure we develop our own technologies, but make sure do what we can to make sure that that they don't. I think I'm not in the camp that we should stop China's rise. That's impossible. We can't do it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we should try to, to to limit the ability of our technology to help the Chinese military. A lot of these chips we're talking about. Uh, regardless of the designer, are being made in Taiwan, and and that boy, that's a complicating factor here. When you're gonna you're gonna keep the chips, the technology away from China, even while they're coming out of what is technically Chinese territory, Ambassador. How do you rationalize that? Well, um, it's, it's TSMC yeah. really holds a lot of cards here because they they produce such a large volume of IN chips. I think that's that's good because uh, they ship a lot of chips to China. They ship a lot of chips to the U.S. worldwide, and um, that they have, they have a, such a strong market position and such an important product. That's going to make it less likely that there's going to be war over Taiwan. Because mm-hmm. if there is, that's going to totally disrupt TSMC, and that's going to have a very adverse effect on the world economy. I don't think there's going to be war over Taiwan. China doesn't want a war. The U.S. doesn't want a war. If there were, it would seriously disrupt the economy generally. And with TMC there in Taiwan, it would make things even worse. Fascinating conversation, uh, Mr. Ambassador. Thanks for the time, as always. Max Baucus, the former ambassador to China, former senator with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. You can read a lot more about this deal, forthcoming, that is, on the terminal. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you? and not against you. With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. You know it's serious when the White House calls it a major speech on the schedule. That's what's happening right now in Chicago as Jordan Fabian and Reed Pickard write on the terminal, president launching his most ambitious effort to persuade the skeptical that the economy is actually thriving on his watch. That has been a very difficult argument to make so far, and we reassembled our panel 
With an ear on Joe Biden today in Chicago, Jeannie Shanzano is with us. And Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics Contributors. Uh, Jeannie, what'd you make of the definition? I had to crack the dictionary to get that a little while ago here, but it does start exactly as we kind of predicted. Middle out, bottom up, not the top down. How do people get their head around that? You know, he's been saying that. We heard it in the State of the Union. (laughs) It's something that they have been saying. Um, And I do think it makes sense. I think we have to be very careful here when we look at these polls. Yes, people are not unhappy with the state of the economy, inflation, or they don't give Biden any much credit, I should say, on the economy. But if you flip this around and ask them who's looking out for the working class, who's looking out for regular people, Mm -hmm. Democrats and Biden have an enormous advantage. There was a recent poll where their advantage is over 30 points on that. And Republicans are looked at as the party of the wealthy and the rich. And so that's why he's going to keep making this case and keep talking about the economy. And this is particularly true as you look at independents and moderates. The economy is not just about the numbers that people on you know Wall Street and elsewhere look at every day. It's about who's looking out for me and my family. And Democrats have a huge advantage there. And the broadband is one example of why they get credit there. Here's the president in Chicago just moments ago. Bidenomics is working. When I took office, the pandemic was raging and our economy was reeling. Supply chains are broken. Millions of people unemployed. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses on the verge of closing after so many had already closed. Literally hundreds of thousands on the verge of closing. Today, the U.S. has the highest economic growth rate leading the world economies since the pandemic. The highest in the world. These are good lines, Rick Davis. How come no one's responding to them? Well, I just remember the George Bush re- George H.W. Bush re-election in 1992 where mm-hmm. we tried to convince everybody that, oh, you've got it much better than those Europeans, and <laughs> nobody was buying that action. Uh, look, I mean, at the end of the day, regardless of what he says is his successes, and he's had some, mm-hmm. um, you know, the economy is at a historic low. Um, uh, consumers in the Michigan consumer sentiment have been at historic lows. They don't buy the fact that they're better off. And and there's a, they have long, a way of keeping spending money though. And, and there's a laundry list of of you know negative uh, uh, conditions that the economy's in that uh, that he's suffering from. And look, 38 percent approval rating on the economy is horrible. I mean, like when you're looking at that, you have to say what Jeannie was saying, which is we got to fix this. We cannot be reelected even against Donald Trump, potentially, if our numbers don't come up from this on handling the economy. I guess this is a real reminder, Jeannie, as well, that the stock market is not the economy. And even though it's near all-time highs right now, that doesn't seem to be making people feel better. What, What about the wealth effect? It doesn't. And, you know, it doesn't have an impact when inflation remains as stubborn and high as it has. So no matter how many times you tell people, look, there are good numbers here, even the job numbers, which are tremendous right now and under Biden's uh, watch, people go to the grocery store, they buy their milk, they buy eggs and they're expensive. And so that is going to be a real huge problem. The White House knows that. But again, I think we need to stress a couple things. Number one is that this is a choice. Number two, when you ask independents and moderates who's looking out for the working class and people in the middle, Democrats have a huge advantage there. And that is what the Biden administration is seeing. It's going to be a choice between him and 
Trump or a Republican, they are seen as the party of the wealthy. And so when you're going to be fighting for some votes in the middle, Mm -hmm. he's going to keep stressing this. It's going to be about the idea of the cultural aspect of this, not necessarily the cold, hard numbers. It's been interesting, uh, Rick, and the president just touched on this. He actually has been hitting this uh, quite a bit as of late. The Republicans uh, who have opposed his economic agenda find themselves in some cases celebrating it when the money comes home. And you've seen this movie before. The president just name-checked the senator from Alabama. Let's bring along some converts. People strenuously opposed, voting against it when we had this going on. They were, this was going to bankrupt America. Well, there's a guy named Tuberville, from Alabama, senator from Alabama, who announced that he strongly opposed the legislation. Now he's hailing his passage. Here's what he said, quote, It's great to see Alabama receive critical funds to boost ongoing broadband efforts. Yeah. He gets a laugh out of that. He did, by the way, on Twitter. I'm looking at Coach Tommy Tuberville, by the way. Broadband, he writes, Rick, is vital for the success of our rural communities and for our entire economy. Great to see Alabama receive crucial funds to boost ongoing broadband efforts. That, of course, from the infrastructure uh, law, which, uh, well, this is what he said about it on the floor. Uh, in April of 2021. President Biden released a so-called infrastructure proposal that's not actually about infrastructure. (laughs) It's nothing more than the Green New Deal in disguise. I guess he's changed his tune, Rick. Go for that Green New Deal. Look, I mean, it was a (laughs) bipartisan measure. 19 Republican senators voted for it. It was a 69 to 30 vote. So it was hailed as a bipartisan achievement. I think yes. we talked about it at the time. Everyone's going to take credit for this That's right. once it's passed. And, and, and Tuberville did just that. I mean, even though he voted against it, as did his fellow Alabama Senator Shelby, <laughs> uh, neither one of them put a, an oar in that water. And yet they're going to at least Tuberville's taking the victory lap and making sure that they know that, that, that this is going to happen. Look, kudos to to uh, the president for calling him out on it, right? Yeah. I mean, like, if, if he wants his vote next time on a good bipartisan bill, you know, he's going to remind him that, uh, oh, by the way, you got a lot of votes for, you know, delivering the bacon to yes. Alabama. So uh, courtesy of the Democrat president. That's part of the strategy here, though, if this is going to work for Joe Biden. Right, Jeannie? Uh, uh, John Cornyn from Texas did the same thing Tommy Tuberville did. He's celebrating the money coming home from a bill he voted against. That's right. The coach getting called out on a note of hypocrisy here. And the the best thing was his spokesperson twisting himself into knots to try to explain the difference. You know, it it was it's a great (laughs) statement when you read it. And the president is going to keep calling them out and keep saying it sounded to me the same thing he did in the State of the Union. Come on over. The water is warm here. You'll want to celebrate this. And boy, he seems to have some energy when he talks like that. Well, I guess this is just the way it works. And Joe Biden's been on the other side of this, too, hasn't he, Rick? What what did he vote against that he championed at one point in Delaware? Yeah, every one of these guys does the flip-flop. When it passes, it's it passed by the Senate. That means all of them get credit. So uh, this shouldn't surprise anybody, but it's always good fodder on an election cycle. How does he seize on it, though? Do your, you, you gave him credit for doing this earlier. They need to change this narrative 
uh, if he's going to see his numbers move at all. Is that a tactic that he should continue? Yeah, he's got to stay on the road. He's got to hit the heartland like he's doing in Chicago today. Uh, he's got to constantly talk about all the money that he's putting to work to increase manufacturing, you know, to put renewables out there, to lower the cost of power, to, you know, elevate the EV debate to something that people understand and can embrace. You know, this infrastructure is at the core of his reelection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect that is a pseudonym for uh, Bidenomics uh, is infrastructure spending. Yes, and, right. and so he's just got to he's got to stay on that. And he doesn't and he doesn't want to get distracted by what ho- happens in Washington with investigations and, and and things like that. So stay out of D.C., stay on the road and continuously show up. Uh, to uh, you know, fill those potholes, build the broadband, and make sure the bridges don't collapse. Jeannie, Rick mentioned George H.W. Bush. Approval ratings were astronomical compared to what we've grown used to, certainly with this president. North of 70%, even higher, I think, at the time of the invasion of Iraq, Rick. Weren't they above 90% for some, just an, an enormous number? And then a recession hit, and none of it mattered. What happens if a recession actually does arrive next year for this president? Yeah, I mean, they would all want George W. Bush's numbers. And then look what happened. George H.W., I should say. Um, You know, I think that would be obviously the timing there would be problematic. People talk about a recession in the fall, in the spring in particular, would be very tough for the Biden administration. But we are looking at the operization of politics. He's going to go out and keep giving out the goodies and make the case. We are looking out (laughs) for you. They are not. They are for the wealthy, the uber wealthy. We are for you. Look at what we are doing. He is like the mayor of the country at this point <laughs> removing the snow giving you broadband all the things he's going to do and that's how they're going to keep pushing this out because it's a choice and it's a choice that he thinks they can come on the plus side and the poll numbers bear that out which is why they're doing it did you come up with that the oprahization i i have coined uh, that i hope wow. you will get that you know yes. we're going to get t-shirts right i don't know <laughs> everyone reach under your seats <laughs> Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It apparently remains the case that indictments are good for business, at least if your name is Donald Trump, with new numbers from morning consults on the Republican primary field. This uh, updated just in the last 24 hours in a sample of more than 3,600 likely Republican primary voters. Donald Trump pulling in at 57% to Ron DeSantis at 19. You go to single digits from there, and not unlike the St. Anselm poll we were looking at yesterday, Mike Pence, seven. Look at Vivek Ramaswamy with six. Outrunning Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, Doug Burgum, Francis Suarez. And as I read here, has anyone heard about Heard? Will Heard zero. That's tough. As we reassemble the panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. You got to start somewhere, Rick. 
Well, that's about the <laughs> basic place you can start. Yes. That's right. I mean, uh, look, it, it's hard when you are in Congress to run for president. It's even harder to have been out of Congress and then decide to run for Congress. Fair so, enough. But look, I mean, this is like the 12 days of Christmas, right? I mean, like <laughs> I felt like singing a partridge in a pear tree halfway through that list. <laughs> yes, my apologies for what we're all going to endure for the next year. Uh, this lead from Donald Trump, uh, it's certainly been consistent in a lot of polls here, uh, Jeannie. Uh, do you think another indictment or maybe two more change this story or just make him stronger in the primary field? Two more indictments. He will be this race will be over. He'll be the nominee at I this point. So. Um, you know, I, I think we are in such unchartered territory here that it's really hard to say. There's no historical comparison to draw on. I do think there are, are maybe, and this would take a long time for scholars to determine, there may be explanations for some of what we're seeing in these polls. We won't know until the election occurs and we're able to study it. But just as an example, the old spiral of silence theory is that people don't want to admit, especially in this day and age, to pollsters what they actually think. And we've mm. seen that with race. We could be seeing some of that here. There's a dilution effect that could be occurring. So there's a whole bunch of social science explanations for what we're seeing but again we really don't know all we're seeing are these numbers and he continues to get stronger and for republicans they would really need this to be a one-on-one -on -one race pretty quickly for him to start dropping down but the second is dropping himself and that is desantis donald trump beats joe biden by three percentage points in the hypothetical here rick you're probably rolling your eyes before I ask a question, but how many of these do we need to see before Joe Biden starts to maybe wonder if that is his his hopeful challenger? Yeah, I well, I think that that you you can't confuse Donald Trump's strength in the primary with uh, uh, Joe Biden's incredible weakness amongst his own party mm -hmm. and in the national uh, race uh, within Republican circles. It's pretty common to hear uh, Donald Trump's the only one who Joe Biden can beat in yeah. the Republican field. And when you look at the numbers, uh, that's pretty consistently correct. Uh, in fact, I saw a poll just recently that had Governor Yunkin plus 16 wow. on a one-on-one -on -one against Joe Biden in a, in, a, in a national election. So huh. when you have that kind of strength, it shows the weakness of the, of the incumbent, and that's Joe Biden. So yeah. unless he can improve his lot, uh, he, everyone in the Republican side, including Donald Trump, is going to look competitive. I have to ask you guys about, just because I keep hearing it every day, I'm not looking to start this conversation. Jeannie and Joe Biden certainly isn't either, although I think they want to end the conversation more specifically. And that's the idea of a unity candidate. No labels is apparently still talking to Joe Manchin, maybe Larry Hogan. I don't know who it is who ends up potentially in this race. But there are a lot of Democrats in this town who are actively working to prevent that from happening. Is it something you worry about? I do think there is a cause for concern there, and that's because there is so much ambivalence on the part of even Democrats about mm -hmm. another Biden run. And that's why, you know, we were talking uh, in the last couple of days about, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. His poll numbers have fluctuated a bit, but he's getting an awful lot of press coverage. Um, you know, and he is just one candidate out there. There are others who could potentially um on a third party ticket like that, pull some votes from Biden because 
people do feel like they have been let down in certain ways and they are looking for an alternative. So I think Democrats, it's important for them to try to head that off at the pass if they can, because the last thing you want is a Biden versus Trump and a third party candidate draining Biden of support. And that gives Trump the presidency if you are a Democrat. Does this sound like a real conversation to you, Rick? Uh, You've been around this a long time. It comes up every time. Would it be the case now? I, I'm hearing some folks concerned about Cornell West being on the ballot in Michigan, you know, as he's a Green Party. It, it, you don't have to be a national candidate to stir the pot here, right? You don't have to be a national candidate, but you do have to have some impact on the ballot. So home staters like Cornell, yeah, sure, if he could affect, you know, three or four points in yeah. in Michigan, that could change the outcome of the race. Look, wow. I lived through the 92 race with Ross right, Perot. Sure. I mean, he decided who was going to be president hmm. uh, by getting almost 20 percent of the vote. Hmm. So these third party candidacies have a robust impact on the outcome, especially in a evenly divided country that we're in now. And I would say the Kennedy impact is going to be probably to drag you know Biden, who ran as a moderate Democrat in 20, <laughs> yeah. more to the left because yeah. he's he's occupying the kooky left. And, and, and in order to keep his numbers from da- going down too far, I wouldn't be surprised to see Biden start to be a little more progressive. If there is a unity candidate or you know, if Dems cannot squash this no labels idea, Rick, will Republicans throw money behind him? You know, they won't even have to, uh, you know, right now. I mean, the Republicans are looking at this going, well, we got our own problems. Who could yeah, who are we going right. to have as a nominee? And that's going to last for some time. So I think the the party itself is going to be inwardly focused. But there are a lot of people who don't want Joe, Joe Biden to be reelected as president. And, and some of those are Republicans and they would see, you know, a no labels kind of effort as being a way to stop Biden if they don't have a particular point of view on you know who the Republican needs to be. We talked about the potential of a recession at Genie. You add a no-labels candidate next year would be awfully difficult for Joe Biden all of a sudden. It, it would be, and that's why they are hoping that Trump is on the ballot, because they still are of the belief that he mm-hmm. won last time. Not more, more voters are not looking at Trump thinking, you know, I didn't like him before, but now I think he's a great guy and I'm going to vote for him. So they still feel like despite what can be a potential big drag from the economy to a third party candidate, that they could pull it out against Trump. I do think they have to start pushing back a little bit on RFK, if not the president, at least his surrogates. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors with more next. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. We have yet to confirm the whereabouts of Yevgeny Prigozhin, presumably in Belarus. His plane got there. We know that. President of Belarus says he's there. But we haven't had, you know, the shot with the newspaper or whatever it is that we need to see to make that confirmation. And it came up in the Pentagon briefing yesterday in a way that you would only hear well, I guess from a Gen Xer. Uh, thank you. Does the DOD know for a fact that Prigozhin is still alive, or, or are we in a weekend at Bernie's scenario right now? Um, I'm sorry, Jeff. I don't get the reference. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Gen Xer here at the podium. Okay. Um, so, uh, again, 
Jeff, like you, you know, we're, we're watching the the press reports out there, so I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna be able to provide a, a oh. status update. I have many responsibilities, but press secretary yeah. for Mr. Progosian is not oh. one, so I really can't comment on his <laughs> uh, current status. So we Thank don't you. know. That was Brigadier General Ryder. You remember weekend at Bernie's, right? Mr. Lomax, <laughs> Bernie, how you yeah. doing? Great place, oh, we Bernie. We, did, we just walked in. We didn't know that. The sunglasses? Bernie? Shh, shh, he's sleeping. He's sleeping. All right. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano in our final moment. Do you think he's alive? And if he is, long for this world? Well, I would say surrounded by uh, uh, well-equipped military aides of his in a, uh, in a country like, uh, like uh, Belarus, I, you know, if, if they want him dead, he's gone, right? <laughs> I mean, it. like, yeah. my host is my enemy. <laughs> uh-huh. Some have suggested, Jeannie, he may already be in Africa. Do you think we'll see him again? I'm not sure, but can we give the award for the best question at a Pentagon <laughs> briefing to really? Jeff Shogol? That was amazing. And the, by the way, Brigadier General Ryder, he was a quick comeback, too. That Ryder, for sure. He knew exactly what he was talking about. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel. Thanks, as always, for great analysis and for playing along. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.